Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Face of TBI podcast series, the number one podcast for brain injury and concussion resources. I'm Zelmer, founder of faceoftbi.com and your host. Today I will be chatting with Dr. John Corrigan about the lifetime effects of TIs. This episode is brought to you by Integrated Brain Centers. Located in Denver, Colorado, Drs. Shane Stedman and Perry Maynard are experts in functional neurology and treat complex concussion cases from around the country. With over 20 years of combined experience, they are leaders in helping patients who are suffering from post-concussion symptoms, including dizziness, vertigo, headaches, dysautonomia, and more. For your free consultation, you can find online at integratedbrainscenters.com. Hello, I'm Amy Elmer, and you're listening to Pieces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness of traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Global, and the Goodman Project, and I am author of Life of Traumatic Brain, Finding the Road Back to Normal, available on Amazon. Additionally, I am editor-in-chief of the Brain Health Magazine, and you can get your free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facestbi.com, and you can connect with me on Instagram at Amy Zimmer. And I invite you to join my private Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Today's guest is John Corrigan, Ph.D., He is a professor in the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at Ohio State University and director of the Ohio Valley Center for Brain Injury Prevention and Rehabilitation. For the past 40 years, he has treated and studied long-term outcomes persons with traumatic brain injury. Dr. Corrigan is editor-in-chief of Journal of Head Trauma Rehabilitation, and he is the PI and co-PI of the Ohio Regional Traumatic Brain Injury Model System since 1997 and chaired the Executive Committee for the TBI Model System Project Directors from 2007 to 2017. 2013, he served the Director of the Ohio Brain Injury Program, which is a designated lead agency in the state of Ohio for policy and planning related to living with brain injury. This position has provided a platform translation of evidence on long-term outcomes. He's the National Research Director for the Brain Injury Association of America and has previously served other national organizations, including ERF, the Injury Control Center at CDC, the Veterans Administration of the U.S. Department of Defense, and Defense Health Board. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Corrigan. So happy to have you here today. Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate the invitation. Yes, yes. I believe we met, gosh, it's been several years that we met at a um, a fly-in at Vitrans Capital um, when we were trying to help. Ah. Um, well, they were trying to repeal the, the ADA, um, and I met you through Ian Forrest. So lovely to have you here today. 
Well, again, I appreciate uh, what you do in terms of making a voice for persons who have the lived experience of a traumatic brain injury. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to talk. Well, excited might not be the right word. Uh, talking about the lifetime effects of TBIs because I think, you know, we we see in movies, TV shows, and, and even our pro athletes to some extent, you know, it seems like everybody gets a 100% recovery. And I think that's probably one of the biggest problems with the misconceptions that are right because where do people generally get their information from from what they see on tv or in podcasts so i'm excited to kind of dive into this topic to help uncover the layers of tbi and you know what people can possibly expect to live with what our loved ones could be going through um so I'm wondering if you would like to start with letting us know how you even came to work in the TBI world. Like, what led you down this path? Well, uh, this is ancient history, as you said. I've been doing this for some 40 years. Uh, but back in the uh, 80s, um, we didn't have uh, specialized rehabilitation programs for persons with uh, more severe traumatic brain injury. and uh, But... Uh, folks were surviving um, car crashes, uh, in particular, that uh, uh, they had never, that people had never survived before, particularly young people, and uh, we didn't have a plan for, you know, just what, uh, you know, after they survived and left the acute trauma, what should happen. So I uh, took a faculty position at Ohio State uh, in physical medicine and rehab uh, at our rehab hospital to join with some other. Uh, uh, professionals to create a specialized traumatic brain injury uh, unit, uh, and so we were had very little to go on at the time, and just started, you know, thinking about the the kinds of challenges that uh, are there when people come out of coma, and and what we need and can do, and um, that's how I got started in the field and uh, worked clinically on inpatients for a long time, but as we had more and more people who were coming back to us after leaving the hospital and saying, well, I had a problem with this or that. I kind of shifted into working more in, in research in the outpatient areas, which got me to asking, so what are these long-term effects? What, do, what can we expect when, when people ask me, you know, what might be coming, you know, what, what should I be saying? And um, that, that kind of, that was kind of how it happened. And, uh, uh, it has evolved from uh, there. I don't do a lot of clinical work anymore. Mostly I'm just doing research and policy now. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's interesting that you you mentioned that people are surviving crashes that they hadn't before. And I'm guessing we're attributing that to the advances in safety on our vehicles. Uh, that was part of it. There was more of that to come. Uh, it, just in my time working in brain injury rehab, we uh, made big advances in terms of reducing drunk driving and big mm-hmm. advances in terms of passive restraints within cars, you know, like airbags. Mm-hmm. Uh, airbags yep. were in place when I started. One of the things that I think in the early 80s contributed to us having more survive, people surviving is that we actually learned some things in Vietnam about uh, emergency trauma uh, 
and how to, you know, what to do in the field and mm, how to maximize right. um, survive, su- survival. Uh, and we did, brought some of that back to the states in the form of um, trauma systems and, and other ways of, of just being way more proactive up front. Um, but, yeah, there's been a, a number of changes over the course of my career um, mm. in, in terms of um, uh, things that have improved survivability, but the more you improve survivability, you still are left with, you know, what are, what are the yes. long, long-term issues here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's really interesting, you know, not only advances in medicine, right, but advances in our safety of our cars. Like, I mean, I have met people and seen pictures of their accident, and it is just like, how did you walk away from that, right? Um, but Unbelievable. It is the airbags, yeah. it's the seatbelts, it's the way our cars are designed now, and um, it's just phenomenal that they even that they even were living, you know, while they were still in that car and then the advances in medicine like you said advancing the the immediate trauma care um you know that's constantly evolving right like just even month to month sometimes you can see differences and i had the unfortunate pleasure of having to be in uh in an er twice in a one-week period in different places because i was traveling and even just the differences in the cities that i was in Right, and and yeah. seeing the differences and how uh, triage and everything handled. So, yeah, yeah, yeah lots of advances. And you know, when I started, um, uh, when I started in rehab, I just might say that you know, mostly it was young people in car crashes, but now you know, since the in the last uh, ten years, what we've seen is uh, kind of a silver tsunami of older adults yeah. who, with falls, and they actually dominate. Mm. In inpatient rehabilitation, we have a, a majority of people admitted are older adults, and vast majority are falls. And we've seen that, you know, not just in rehab, but just, you know, in the um, incidence data for the whole country. Um, so, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a it's a constantly moving field, which is good. Yeah, that means hopefully we're learning new things so and discovering new things. So. Um, you know, that, that fall prevention in the 65 plus community, I think the initiatives that they're doing there with fall prevention are so important. I mean, I, I am uh, a caregiver to my 86 year old parents. And one of the things I did was made them get rid of all those little rugs they have all over the house. I'm like, you need to get rid of these because they're the leading cause of falls on seniors. (laughs) Absolutely. So, yeah. And, you know, this, yeah. this too is another phenomenon that shows a change in our society, but uh, particularly, you know, that generation of older adults, the one that preceded the uh, baby boom, the uh, parents of the baby boomers, uh, sometimes called the great generation because they fought World War II That's and my parents. Uh, yep. they came through the Depression. Mm-hmm. And they they chose to, to age differently than older adults before them. They weren't going to stay home and, you know, yep. sit in the rocking chair. They wanted to stay active. And, and mm-hmm. I, you know, as normal aging changes your balance and, and you know, your strength and some other things, vision, that staying active, being out and about in the world, walking on uneven services, you know, still driving, those kind of things, 
can lead to you know more risk for fall and 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 they have i think you know uh, we want to be you know we want to try to be as safe as possible but i do think staying active is awfully important too so mm-hmm. figure out how to be active safely that's the key yes yes and i teach a lot of care yoga and you know, my my target market is, is brain injury survivors, but, um, you know, even getting into those early seniors, uh, just the, the safety of being in a chair, right, your fall risk goes down so much, um, you know, especially mm-hmm. for folks with balance and dizziness issues and such. So there's definitely ways to really keep up mobility and movement um, in a safe way. And, and I also think our seniors are living longer. Like, like our life expectancy is just so much longer than it used to be. Um, so to some degree, uh, I, you know, I think it's kind of bifurcated, and we have some folks who are, you know, uh, dying earlier. But what we seem to have is some some uh, subgroup who's living even longer and staying, you know active even longer. I just came back from Mother's Day with my mother-in-law, who is uh, 90, uh, about to be 96, I believe, and still lives by herself and drives in the, during the day, daylight hours at least, and uh, swims uh, four or five times a week. And, um, you know, she uh, she's not as active as she was 10 years ago or 20 years ago, but she's still active, you know, in her 90s, you know, so uh, I started joking, uh, and given my age, I like this joke. It's, you know, the 80s or the uh, 80s or the new 60s. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, but, yes, uh, there has been, you know, it, it not, you know, and COVID, of course, took a big bite out of our yeah. life expectancy. Yeah. So yeah. actually for the first time in, in years, we had a slight decline in our life expectancy in the U.S., but that that was a, hopefully a very special situation that we won't face again. Right, right. Fingers <laughs> crossed. Um, so let's talk a little bit about lifetime effects of TBI. Um, yeah. I, you know, for myself, uh, my injury was in 2014. I had a lot of short-term that working memory. I had a lot of problems with that cognitive processing problems, dizziness, balance. Um, and so that's been nine years. And I would say it's been the last two years that I feel I'm at like 85 to 90%. Like I still definitely have some lingering stuff that I don't know that it'll ever be 100%. But I'm okay with that, right? Like I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very functional now at my 85 to 90%. I know how to how to accommodate those days where I just don't feel good. Um, but not everybody's as fortunate as me. Not everybody gets to 90%. You know, I sat at like 40%, 50% for years. And I didn't think it was ever going to get better. So um, there is hope, right? Um, but right, what are some absolutely. of the, the, the lifetime effects that you do see? Well, so, uh, you know, before we get into individual effects, and there's a lot of person-to-person differences, yes. obviously, in the yes. individual effects, one of the big things that is kind of a, surprisingly, a, kind of a, a newer understanding of, you know, from doing research on long-term outcomes is that we should probably throw the clock away, uh, the calendar, or mm-hmm. keep track of time. 
um, that we used to kind of, uh, the thought was traumatic brain injury was like breaking your leg and there was a period of, you know, initial, uh, you know, there was initial injury and then there was a period of recovery and, you know, kind of, you kind of advanced through, um, you know, stages of recovery or, you know, at least the amount of recovery and then at some point maybe kind of um, uh, leveled off just like a broken leg might and although on different timing, but, uh, and then that's kind of what you have. And it, what, what we've come to realize, and this is why we've started talking about um, traumatic brain injury as a, a chronic health condition, is that it's actually way more dynamic than that. It's not just a period of time you recover and then you don't anymore. Um, now, as we're looking out even at people who are you know, 25 and 30 years post-injury, we're still seeing change. Um, that the you know that it's a minor, it's a it's not a majority of folks who stay the same from one you know five year period to another for instance uh, the majority of folks are changing in some way and some of that changing is improvement and some of that changing is decline and what we also know is that you know it might be between ten and fifteen years somebody kind of backslides a little and then between fifteen and twenty that same person actually might improve again. And we need to change our thought from being on some kind of a, a you know, prescribed um, recovery you know, trajectory to realizing that, you know, this is something that will change. There is change. And, and the important, you know, kind of insight from that is, and so let's do those things that make for the good change. Let's, let's do those things that make for improvement mm -hmm. and not decline. And, that then, you know, some of that falls to the healthcare system. I mean, we we you know, put a lot of resources up front, um, and that that's good. And I don't think I want to take away from that, but up front meaning in the early after the injury. But you know, what if, you know, if my you know uh, balance or my strength is declining some, and I'm 15 years post, why shouldn't I have a, a course of physical therapy or a course of occupational therapy yeah. to try to bring that back up? You know, um, we should be thinking in those ways is, of course, what I'm saying. And, and then, you know, on, and, on the side of the person who's had the injury, you know, I, I think, you know, the way I, I like to think about it is that a traumatic brain injury of really, you know, uh, you know mo most traumatic brain injuries are an opportunity to kind of um, reset or re reorient your your relationship with your brain and brain health. And, you know, maybe, you know, for me personally, and you know, I, in older adulthood now, I've started paying attention to some more healthy habits, et cetera, because I'm, you know, want to make sure, you know, hope that I can stave off, you know, any, you know, later uh, decline. Well, I, I think that should happen at any age after yeah. a, a brain injury, and we should be thinking about, you know, our our sleep and our exercise and our nutrition and yeah. um, our engagement in with people and 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 uh, activities. You know, all those positive things that. Don't hurt anybody. They don't hurt anybody to do. We know they're all good for us, and uh, brain injury or not, but kind of making that commitment earlier in life that I'm going to maximize my brain health, I think is probably, you know, as important as what the healthcare system needs to learn about. I want, uh, we want to be able to treat this person, maximize their functioning throughout their life, 
and as a person, I want to maximize, you know, my brain health throughout my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of going back to what you said earlier, I, I was told by the neurologist. So I had been going to a neurologist. I think I got to her at like six or eight weeks. I actually got to her pretty early. Um, and I was told there's nothing we can do. We just have to give it more time. Come back in six months. So six months, I go back again. It's just nothing we can do. We have to give it more time. And I was super frustrated. I'm like, what do you mean there's nothing Absolutely. we can do? And, um, That's just not that, true. <laughs> I, know, I know that now. But, you know, we're taught to trust our doctors. And so I was like, all okay. right. Yeah. And then at one year when she told me, this is probably the best you'll get. And I was like, but wait, we didn't even try anything. And now you're telling me this is the best I'm going to get because it's been a year, which I now fully understand that was antiquated information, even when I was given it. Um, And it was super frustrating because I didn't get any sort of therapy until I was like two and a half years in. Um, and, And that's, part of why I'm so passionate and loud about what I do because I want other people to find those resources sooner. Um, it's so frustrating. It just, it really is luck of the draw who you get for a doctor sometimes. Well, and that's what we're trying to change. We're trying to take luck out of it and make sure that there's broadly that it's understood that, um, you know, that as a chronic condition, this is something that is more dynamic than, um, stable, you know, uh, you know, set. It's not set in stone. It is mm-hmm. dynamic, mm-hmm. and there are things you can do to make that dynamicness work in your favor and not against you. And uh, we, you know, we're trying to get this kind of information, you know, into the early um, training of medical students, and um, of course, you know, other rehabilitation professionals, and get this word out to you know the public, so that you know sometimes you know. As as patients, we have to educate our providers. We can't always count on, you know, their knowing, you know, uh, everything they should, particularly if they're not a specialist in it. You know, brain injury, you know, yeah. if your, your, your general practitioner has a thousand things, you know, uh, yeah. that they have to be looking out for. And um, so, anyway, I, I don't, I, I, I'm now, I don't want to point fingers. I want us to make a change here and uh, you know, yeah. podcasts like yours are one way to get the word out. So, Yeah, you're, but you're totally right. You know, like uh, the GPs and pediatricians, they only know what they know. And I know it is starting to trickle in in their education, but for a long time it wasn't part of their education. So if you don't know anything about it, you don't know anything about it. And I remember being at a brain injury conference. I don't remember what state I was in. But the statistic was something like 85% of pediatricians don't even want kids that have concussions. Like, they're scared to work with kids with concussions because they don't know what to do with it. And that number was staggering. It was like, wow. Um, And, you know, we go to the neurologist because they have neuro in their name. But that's not really the neurologist's job either. Their job is to diagnose diseases such as, you know, MS, Parkinson's, Alzheimer. Um, so it is, it's kind of like, well, where are we supposed to go? Who are we supposed to see? Um, and I think that's the biggest frustration 
for people yeah. who've experienced a brain injury and their loved ones. That and the folks Absolutely. who are sent home, so they've come out of the coma, they've done inpatient rehab, they're, they're in the clear, and they get sent home, and the family goes, well, now what? Oh, nothing. That's it. He's good. He gets to go yeah. home. Yeah. And right. it's like, but there's so much more that can be done. Absolutely. And, and I, I have to say that, you know, for those, you know, medical professionals and not just physicians who, you know, who aren't comfortable because they don't know, the you know, about the condition. I mean, we want that. We don't want any practitioner practicing in an area that they're not informed about. So it, it then also goes back to people like myself as an academician and educator. It's on people like me to get this word out. You know, we have to, you know, we have to educate the workforce. And uh, there are many opportunities for that as it relates to brain injury, despite, you know, we've been hitting our heads probably as long as we've been up on two feet or even before. But um, we, in the last, you know, just, you know, dozen years or so, there's a lot to be learned uh, about brain injury and, and uh, we got to get the word out. And again, you know, it, other, uh, you know, uh, awareness campaigns like what um, uh, the Brain Injury Association of America and, and Abbott Labs are doing now on uh, the Concussion Awareness Now um, uh, program. Um, that That is part of, you know, that's another piece of this total puzzle of let's, let's apply what we've learned, let's apply what we know and get people and practitioners, you know, doing it, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, you know, what, what is your advice for someone who is, I mean, however far out, five, 10, 20 years, um, what is your advice to those individuals? Where should they turn? Well, uh, you know, if they are not sure kind of, you know, uh, how they might, you know, make changes, you know, it, it, you know, to what they're doing, either in their health or the rest of their life, um, you know, a, a good a good place might be to reach out to their um, state brain injury association, or mm-hmm. in some states it's called a brain injury alliance, um, and uh, see if there's a program you know that they can get involved with to learn more about you know their injury, or maybe there's uh, a, a um, you know a, a many states now or an increasing number of states have a kind of uh, service called resource facilitation that helps an individual kind of understand where their needs are and what kind of services or programs or activities might help maximize those needs and and then helps them hook up with them not just you know not just saying oh you should but actually helping folks you know get to the right place. Um, you know, whether that's to remediate a problem or equally important is to work on some of these positive, you know, brain, you know, be, make the behavior changes for a healthier brain. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, it's probably the rare person in this world who's doing everything they can be doing for maximizing their brain health. So there's probably always something more. And, you know, nobody should try to bite it all off at the same time. You know, let's, you know, let's start with something, you know, easier, um, you know, like uh, working on our sleep or working on exercise or activity level. Um, but then just marching through that and trying to, you know, getting engaged in your health 
um, that's uh, that's so. I would start with the brain injury associations and the brain in the injury alliances. Many states also have state brain injury programs that have services, but you know, start to get engaged with other folks who understand brain injury, and and see where that could lead you. And you you said this a few times, but sleep, diet, and exercise, or I should say sleep, nutrition, and exercise. I hate using the word diet, but sleep, yeah, nutrition, correct. and exercise are like the three best things you can do for your brain health, brain injury or not. Um, and it, it's something that we can take control of and we can do for ourselves. Um, and so I think addressing those three things simply can help you move along in your journey as well. Oh, you're absolutely right. And, you know, you, and one should not think that sleep, you know, getting good sleep is, not, is something you, you can't do anything about. There are a lot, you know, a lot of things we can do to try to maximize sleep. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good, uh, you know, informational materials out there. And, and, uh, uh, and, and of course, then you know nutrition and exercise, and you know doing these in a smart way. You know, not just uh, you know not not just looking it up with Doctor Google, but uh, um, <laughs> you know, if you if you need some input on how to start an exercise program safely, uh, you maybe you you have um, you know some you know areas of motor function weakness or or not, or if you just haven't been active. You know, getting professional help to to do start it off safely. You know, with a um, you know somebody who's trained um, is smart. Um, but you know, then you can take it take it on yourself and keep it going. And and mm-hmm. you know, those three things. No one no one's getting worse from sleeping better, having better nutrition, right, or um, exercising regularly. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> well, Dr. Corgan, thank you so much for being here today. It's just been such a lovely conversation. I could talk with you forever. Um, But before we go, I just want to ask if you have any final parting thoughts of wisdom for our listeners today, just your final words of advice. Well, you know, I I think the message that I, I hope is being heard is that you know, there is something you can do. Um, and frankly, I don't care if you had a brain injury or not. I think that's a pretty good message. You know, we can always be yeah. improving ourselves. Uh, but for persons with brain injuries who think that they've kind of maxed out and this is it and I have to live with this, um, I'd say, you know, reassess that. Find somebody who can help you, you know, uh, I, you know, think about it differently because um, I would nearly, I bet nearly 99% of the time there is always something to do, if not 100%. Yeah. So keep it going. Yeah. Get engaged and keep it going. Agreed. Totally agree. Well, thank you so very much for being here today and taking the time Absolutely. to share with my listeners. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much and thank you for what you do. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. And you can always find previous episodes on most streaming platforms, such as iTunes, or you can find them directly at basesoftbi.com. Another big thank you to our sponsor, Integrated Brain Centers. Find them online at integratedbraincenters.com.
And you can follow me on Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And also remember to join Amy's TBI Tribe on Facebook. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting it for $5 a month with a Patreon membership. That's patreon.com slash Amy Zellmer. Thank you for listening, and thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I'll see you in the next episode.